The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five investors bracing for more pain ahead after Friday's market meltdown. Stocks falling again here and around the world. History in France as President Macron wins re-election, the first of its kind in more than 20 years. A live report from Paris ahead. Will it be a Musk win for Elon and about face Twitter is the company is now reportedly ready to consider selling itself to the Tesla founder. Is food inflation finally about to get better? CEO of one of the world's biggest fertilizer makers is here. And recession ahead? Today's RBI is what you think is going to happen with the American economy. It is Monday, April 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. All right, thanks for joining us here to start your week. And let's get right now to your Monday money, because as you know, it has been mostly been a rough ride for stocks this month and really this year. And I'm sorry to tell you, it's not looking like it's going to get any better, at least not today. Stock futures, they are down across the board. Dow futures off nearly 300. NASDAQ futures off more than 100. So, about three-tenths of one percent of a decline across the board for all the major market averages. This coming off another down week for most indexes and a rough day on Friday that saw the markets tumble in late trading. The Dow lost nearly three percent for its worst day since October of 2020. And get this, the S&P 500 fell five percent from its Thursday highs to its Friday lows, something That has only ever happened a couple of times in the last 20 years. Now, remember, April, historically a good month for stocks, but not now. The Nasdaq 100 is down just 10% this month and a full 18% this year. Stocks going down as borrowing costs have been rising, but those are actually coming down a touch right now. The 10-year yield backing up a bit as buyers come into bonds at yield just over 2.8%. In the oil market, crude oil here back below $100 a barrel. Global growth concerns weighing on sentiment. The latest Bank of America fund manager survey shows that optimism around global growth is the lowest that B of A has ever recorded in that survey. And that is trickling into crypto as well. We are seeing Bitcoin and Ether also down by about 3 to 5%, depending on the crypto you're talking about. They are all lower across the board. It is not just here either. Investors getting squeezed around the world, too. And as always, we've got global team coverage for you. Sherry Kang is in Hong Kong with the Overnight Asia Trade. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with the early trade there. Sherry, let us begin with you because red on the screen across Asia as well. 
That's right. Good morning, Brian. Sharp sell-off in Asia and more pronounced in the greater China markets. In fact, the China stocks seeing the biggest slump today since February 2020. So that is the onset of the pandemic. A Shanghai Composite for one down 5%. Shenzhen Components seeing a bigger tumble of close to 6%. Investors are watching the situation, the lockdown situation in Shanghai. And now they're worried that Beijing could be next because of massive COVID-19 test kit orders coming from the biggest district of Beijing. And in the currency world, we've got the Chinese yuan seeing a big tumble yet again, falling to a one-year low. If you take a look at the chart for the last few months or so, a very powerful representation of investor sentiment going for this particular currency. And remember, stimulus measures announced so far by the authorities are not enough to meet market expectations. Here in Hong Kong, Hang Seng Index also be seeing a big tumble and bigger sell-off coming through for the Hang Seng Tech Index. Well, when it comes to the elsewhere in Asia, Australia and New Zealand were closed and salvaged and this is selling pressure, but we've got the Japan's DK225 also down 2%. Brian? All right, Sherry, thank you very much. Now let's get the early trade in Europe where stocks are also down big across the board. Rosanna Lockwood in London with more on what's happening in Europe right now. Rosanna. Yeah, Brian, more red across the board here in Europe this morning. I know you're going to get your Paris report uh, soon from our colleagues that are over there for the election. But any kind of positivity you might think you'd get from Macron winning his re-election wiped out by what we're seeing on the CAC. Cajon is currently down almost 2.5%. It's the laggard for the session, in fact. Macron, everyone's saying, baked into the markets already. Meantime, anything China exposed, think luxury, think miners, think oil and gas, that is heavily down. So that is really affecting things here in London. The FTSE 100 down 2 and 2 tenths of a percent. Uh, meantime, we've had some positive economic data, the IFO uh, sentiment report out of Germany this morning. That being said, the DAX holding up just slightly better, down only one six tenths of a percent but as you can see here it's a set heavy selling process going on and as a result what we've seen is what you were talking about there with the u.s treasuries you are seeing european yields just ticking down ever so slightly we've also had uh, some steam coming out of the euro where we saw just a very minor jump after macron's re-election that has come out too so we're seeing a flight to safety i think it's fair to say brian all right, Rosanna Lockwood in London. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right now, let's come back stateside. The stock's here looking weak again. And that follows a lot of selling late Friday afternoon. The 980-plus point drop by the Dow, the worst day since October of 2020. That is now four straight weeks of losses for the Dow and nine in the past 11 weeks. The S&P, NASDAQ, and NASDAQ 100 all notching their worst daily performances since March 7th. And with these new losses... All those major averages are down more than 20% from their 52-week highs. That is a technical bear market. Let's talk more about all this and bring in Degas Wright. He is founder and CEO of Decatur Capital and a CNBC contributor. It is a very nervous time. What are you advising clients is the reason for stocks going down, and what are you advising clients to do? Yeah, Brian. So what we're looking at is we've talked a lot about pricing power in an inflationary environment. And so how do you identify companies that have pricing power? One way of doing that is looking for companies that have higher relative gross profit and growing gross profit relative to their competitors. 
gross profit is basically the revenue minus cost of sales divided by revenue. For instance, if you need uh, microchips to make a car, if the cost of microchips go up, that drives up the cost of sales, which can reduce gross profit if the company cannot increase their prices. And so we're telling our clients to look for, and what we're doing for our clients are looking for those companies that have positive gross profits relative to competitors and also gross profits that are growing. Well, we need some ports in the storm, Degas. I mean, <laughs> that's for sure. You heard all the ugly stats there, about four straight weeks, nine of the past 11. We lost 5% from our intraday high on Thursday to our low on the S&P Friday. That has only happened about 10 or 11 times in the past 25 years. Where are some of these havens that you see? Well, for instance, let's just talk about Tesla, for instance. Tesla, back in 2016, had a gross profit about 23%. Since that time, their gross profit is now above 27%. And what Tesla can do is basically they have strong demand for their uh, electric vehicles, their electronic uh, generation and storage is growing in revenues, and also they're lowering debt. Another company is CVS Health. CVS Health had a gross profit in 2016 of about 17%. Today, their gross profit is 40%. And this is due to their acquisition of Aetna, the digital platform that's doing really well, and the growth in uh, pharmacy. And lastly, if you look at Texas Instruments, Texas Instruments gross profit was roughly about 61% in 2016. Today, it's basically 67%. What's happening there is that there's a strong growth in demand for chips by auto makers and also uh, growth in the internet of everything demand for chips. So these are companies that have strong gross profits and growing gross profits that would basically do very well in an inflationary environment. Which is the environment we find ourselves in, a weak tape as well, but we're watching TXN and CVS. Appreciate the ideas and you're kicking it off for us this week, Degas. Thank you very much. Have a great day and a good week. All right, we're going to have much more on the macro markets all morning long on CNBC, of course. But right now to a developing story on the Elon Musk Twitter drama. New reports say that Twitter is in official discussions to sell itself to Musk and his backers, with a deal potentially being finalized as soon as this week. According to The Wall Street Journal, the two sides met yesterday to talk about the proposal and were making progress, although many issues are still being debated with a deal far from certain. Twitter, of course, has been aggressively fighting a deal, including talking about a poison pill takeover defense. But reports say the Twitter board has turned a bit as Musk has apparently lined up financing for the more than $40 billion deal. Remember, Twitter board and all company boards have a fiduciary duty to maximize shareholder value. So they are also likely under some legal pressure as well. Musk has said from the beginning that his $54.20 a share offer is his best and final and he reportedly reiterated to the Twitter chairman, Brett Taylor, again in recent days that he will not budge on price. Twitter is set to report first quarter earnings on Thursday. That stock is mildly higher in the pre-market. All right, when we come back, we have got a lot more to do, much more on the global equity sell-off. And Morgan Creek's Mark Yusko is here on where nervous investors might want to be putting their money right now. Plus, getting to the source of the global food price surge. 
We're going to talk fertilizer, one of the world's leading producers. And then John Nigerian is here. What could be a silver lining in all the market's recent pain? Stock futures, they are down across the board. Oil back below 100. And we are back right after this short break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. A lot of concern lately about global growth and a slowdown around the world, and that is hitting energy prices this morning. We are seeing the price of crude oil here, overseas, and natural gas all down across the board. In fact, the price of crude oil here back below $100 a barrel. That has been weighing on oil and gas stocks, and that looks to continue this morning. In fact, live trades right now, you got Chevron, Hess, Shell, Total, ExxonMobil. They are all down about 2 to 3%. Could be a tough day across the energy space as well. All right, we'll get back to that in a moment. But right now to France's presidential election with incumbent Emmanuel Macron holding off a push from Marine Le Pen. Macron's victory may be short-lived with his next fight coming up in parliamentary elections in less than two months. Karen Cho is live in Paris with more on this historic victory. Karen. Brian, good morning to you. This was such a high-stakes election, seen by many as the equivalent of a Brexit vote or the election of Donald Trump. But in the end, incumbent Emmanuel Macron was re-elected. That was an uphill battle for the president because no president has been re-elected to office in the past 20 years here in France. And you could feel the voter disenchantment. In the end, many turned out to try and see off the far-left Marine Le Pen, but still 41% of the vote going towards the far-right. So this was a concern that the far-right so Marine Le Pen had made gains on the cost of living crisis, that there were concerns that uh, she had an anti-immigration stance, but also potentially pushed back against sanctions on Russia amid the war in Ukraine. But Emmanuel Macron, in his speech, uh, as he did a slow walk under the Eiffel Tower and took the stage, he also acknowledged the tactical voting that people had turned out to support him, not his ideas, but to see off that challenge of the far right. So that was important. He spoke about unity. The next five years of his mandate look to be ones where he will try and see off some of those concerns, the, 
the discontent from the left and the right. So it might be a slightly different Macron government that we have from here, uh, effectively one that will try and uh, bridge some of that gap. So this is a very business-friendly government that we still have here, but one that may have to give out more concessions. And that does beg the question as to what he can do around the reform agenda. Of course, the next challenge you mentioned is around those parliamentary elections in June. Just what type of strength the uh, Macron presidency will have here, depending on who is elected and whether there is a strong challenge still from the far right. And the left, don't forget uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, had 7.7 million votes in that first round, Brian. So is it over? I, the systems are obviously very different in every country in the world. You talked about the parliamentary elections. Is Macron in as president for the next term? Indeed he is, yes. So securing the vote, uh, a very decent margin now in the end, about 17 points over Le Pen. And don't forget all the exit polls. We knew the result really when it came out at 8 p.m. last night local time because the ballots are actually, it's a sample of actual ballots, not people just telling you how they voted. So we were pretty certain of the result at 8 p.m. last night. But of course now who Macron will have to work with, whether he'll be cohabitating with a collection of candidates, whether he's going to have to bring in some ministers from the left of uh, the side of politics here in France, and whether that's the concessions that he'll have to make, whether we see a reshuffling of the cabinet. Uh, that could be the big difference we see here in France as they try and, I guess, tame some of the concerns about the cost of living yeah. crisis. And don't forget this has been a president who's been accused of being somewhat aloof. I can tell you he was on the ground shaking hands, and I spoke to the president himself as he went to greet supporters last night. Well, that consistency in France and maybe an important part of Europe, certainly economically not helping stocks right now. They still are down across the board, but an historic victory for Emmanuel Macron. Karen Cho in Paris. Karen, thank you very much. All right, on deck here, stock futures, they are down big again. Mark Yusko is coming up on what is causing all the recent selling and what he thinks you should do now. Plus, Elon Musk taking on Bill Gates over an apparent bearish bet on Tesla. Stick around. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, welcome back. We're going to get much more in the macro markets as futures are down across the board. But right now, some of this morning's top stories. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin meeting with Ukraine's president overnight in an unannounced trip to the capital of Kiev, meaning coming to the U.S. pledging resuming diplomatic operations in Ukraine beginning next week and offering the country more than $320 million in military funding. 
speaking at that undisclosed location in Poland near the Ukrainian border following his trip to Kiev. Blinken said that Russian attempts to, quote, subjugate Ukraine and take its independence have, in his words, failed. Elon Musk is accusing Bill Gates of shorting shares of Tesla. In a tweet on Friday responding to a user question over a screenshot of an apparent text between the two, Musk revealed that he asked the Microsoft founder if he was betting against the electric vehicle maker's stock. Musk has previously speculated on the possibility of Gates shorting Tesla. Spokesperson for Bill Gates was not immediately available for comment when contacted by CNBC. And hedge fund manager Gabe Plotkin is apparently rethinking his plan to restructure his Melvin Capital Management. And according to multiple reports, Plotkin is apologizing to investors, telling them he is delaying his surprise plan to return their money, saying instead that he will take the next few weeks to decide on next steps for his fund before closing it. Plotkin also apparently scrapping a plan to start charging performance fees again at Melvin after it encountered backlash from investors. Hard to charge fees if you shut down your fund. Melvin Capital's fund has plummeted more than 50 percent since the beginning of last year due to the short squeeze against GameStop and other big meme stocks. Posted another big loss in the first quarter of this year, all while collecting millions of dollars in fees. Hey, down 50 percent, but you're making a lot of money. Nice work if you can get it. All right, straight ahead. This morning's RBI and your chance to speak out when it comes to the likelihood of a recession in the country. What you think is going to happen with the markets. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. You miss the show any day for any reason. No prob. You can check out the podcast at any time. We are back. Dow futures down about 300 points. NASDAQ off three quarters of 1%. And we are back after this. Get ready. Markets deep in the red once again. Dow futures down by 300. NASDAQ off a percent. Mark Yusko and John Najarian are here with what they are seeing right now. Elon Musk could win Twitter by the end of the week. Big new twist in the Elon Musk Twitter takeover saga. The rising risk of recession. Your morning RBI and what you think the road ahead for the American economy looks like. It is Monday, April 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, I think. Everybody, thanks for joining us here. Let's get right now to the macro markets because it could be another tough day on the street of dreams. It has been a rough ride for stocks this month, and it looks to continue this morning as well. We are seeing stock futures. They are down across the board. Dow futures off more than 300. NASDAQ futures off about 1% as well. So it looks like a tough run for the markets, the Dow down down four weeks in a row and has lost nine of the past 11 weeks. And this is really interesting. The S&P 500 falling 5% from its intra-market high on Thursday to its low close on Friday. A 5% drop from the intraday high the day before to the, da- to the lows of the next day. And that is something, according to Tom Lee and Fundstrat, that has only been seen a handful of times in the past 20 years or so. So it has been a very rough tape. Remember, historically, April is a good month for equities, not this month. All right. Stocks have been going down as borrowing costs have been soaring, but not uh, not right now. We're actually seeing buyers come into the government bond market and 10-year Treasury yields are down 
to about 2.81%. Also lower is the price of oil and gas. A lot of very real concerns about global growth around the world. The price of oil is back below $100 a barrel here, and it is just above that for Brent crude. Natural gas is down, although, of course, all these are much higher than they were a couple of months ago, but lower overall. And check this out. The latest Bank of America fund manager survey shows that optimism around global growth is the lowest they have ever recorded. So a lot of red on the screen could be another tough tape today. All right, let's follow that developing story now in the Elon Musk Twitter take private saga. New reports that the company is in official discussions to sell itself to the Tesla founder, with the deal potentially being finalized as soon as this week, according to the Wall Street Journal. Two sides met yesterday to talk about the proposal and apparently were making some progress, although many issues are still being debated. And a deal, according to the journal, is far from certain. Twitter, by the way, is set to report first quarter results on Thursday. That stock is mildly higher right now, although not anywhere near that $54.20 takeover bid, about five bucks below that. So the market not buying into it 100 percent. All right, let's get back down to the global markets because it's not just here. We are seeing selling pressure in Shanghai. Hong Kong was down sharply in the overnight trade as well. We got red arrows across Europe as trading gets underway there, too. Pretty much every major global market, including our futures, are down right now. And like we said, futures here, they are off sharply after that Friday market meltdown that saw the Dow post its worst day since October of 2020. The Nasdaq, NASDAQ 100 and Russell 2000 are more down now than 20 percent for their most recent 52-week highs just in late November, which is a technical bear market for those indexes as well. All right, joining us now to talk about it all is Morgan Creek Capital Management CEO and CIO, Mark Yusko. Mark, it's good to have you back on. I know it's early. We've got a global Thanks, audience, and we certainly appreciate it. They could use, they could use your steady hand. Um, you know, the economy is clearly slowing down. Inflation's out of control. The Fed is backing up, raising rates. I'm not sure anybody at this point has much confidence left in the Fed to navigate a, a, a soft landing. The markets sure don't. What do you what? attribute all of the recent selling too, or is it kind of a D all the above? No, I think I think you're right, Brian. It is all of the above. And I think the challenge right now is is we're moving from a an orderly sell-off to what looks to me like like liquidations. And you know, that is normal operating procedure when you have a highly levered market. Like one of the challenges of this particular bull market cycle. Uh, over the past couple of years since the, the lockdowns was just the extraordinary amount of debt, just incredible amount of leverage that went into the system. Uh, the Fed and other central banks around the world handed out free money to investors, and those investors uh, took that free money and deposited it in their uh, brokerage trading accounts. And then the brokerage firm said, hey, why don't you take some more money uh, in the form of low interest loans since interest rates were so low? That's all starting to unwind. And one of the ugly things about liquidations is you don't get to sell what you want to sell. You sell what you have to sell. So everything goes down. Gold goes down. Uh, bonds go down. Crypto goes down. Everything goes down, not just stocks. Yeah, we're seeing that certainly across the board. I mean, it's not our futures are down here 300 points, Mark. But as we just showed our viewers, and this is a global program, we got people all over the world watching Markets everywhere fell. And this is not just, I guess I'll be fair, 
not just a U.S. Fed problem, is it? The Bank right. of Japan did it. The European Central Bank did it. The Bank of England did it. Yeah, look, I, I think everyone would would like to believe, I mean, I say everyone, meaning all the central banks globally, would like to believe that they can control the inflation that's raging around the world. And here I even said it. I, I actually don't believe it's inflation. Inflation is caused by excess demand with limited supply of goods and services. That's not what we're seeing in the last two years. What we're seeing in the last two years is currency devaluation, particularly in the West, uh, in Japan, in Europe, in the United States. And currency devaluation is not going to be reversed, right? We're not going to put those dollars and euros and yen back in the bottle. And I think one of the things that I, I follow is people say, oh, but the dollar's so strong. Look at DXY. No, all that means is it's less bad than the yen and the euro. Look at the dollar yen. It has gone absolutely ballistic in a bad way, uh, rising from 110 to 128 uh, over the past few weeks. Normally, in difficult periods of time, the yen has been a safe haven. Instead, it's getting liquidated. So when things are being liquidated, uh, central banks, again, they, they, they've been rendered not really that useful. And that makes a really difficult environment for investors. So where do you hide? Well, one place is to hide in, in short duration assets. The other is to, to look for value in a what was a really overvalued market. So there are pockets of value. And then the last is to, to increase your own liquidity. Uh, as I said, cash, cash equivalents, arbitrage, things like that. Yeah, I guess that's the Fed giveth and the Fed taketh away. And, and we are seeing a lot of pain. We're down nine of the past 11 weeks. All the stats I just threw out, Mark, you know, 5% drop from intraday Thursday high to Friday low. It's only happened, by the way, like 10 or 12 times in the past 20 or so years. But overall, investors have made a lot of money still, for the most part, over the past two to three years. So how do you view the, the longer term, not just today, tomorrow, next week? The longer term. Do you have a view? Yeah, look, if you look at the last two years, uh, we had extraordinary rebound off the, the COVID lows. Uh, you go back even further, five years, eight years, 10 years. We go all the way back 13 years to the global financial crisis. And the challenge is that all of that is really a, a sugar high. All of those gains are really devaluation of the currency. It's, it's money illusion. One of the interesting stats is, is we look at stocks, bonds, and other markets in currencies. And that makes sense. That's what we pay for them with. Uh, so we look at, at Japanese stocks in yen. We look at European stocks in euro. We look at U.S. stocks in dollars. The challenge is if we denominate those in money, right? Gold is money. It's the only asset that exists in the absence of a liability other than Bitcoin, which is the digital form of that. And when we look at stocks in nominal prices in dollars, for example, it looks like we've been making all-time highs up until recently. Uh, the problem is if you denominate yeah. in gold, we're dead flat since 1996. So it's really currency devaluation, excess liquidity by central banks. And if that reverses, which I actually don't believe it will, yeah. I think they're threatening and that is causing the agita, but I think they're going to back down and they're not going to raise nearly as much as they would think they would like to.
We're starting to hear some chatter, some more chatter like that, Mark. You know, all this talk of five or six or seven more rate hikes or 75 at the next meeting. I know the Fed will say that they're not paying attention to the stock market. You and I have been doing this a long time. It's impossible to ignore it. We also have, by the way, you know, they got the November midterms. There's a lot of other stuff that's sort of churning under the surface out there. You think that the stock market decline recently is kind of sending a wake-up call to the Fed, and they may have to back up a little bit. No, Brian, you, you nailed it. This, this is a midterm election year in the U.S. And, and while you're right, this is, these are global markets, and, and there's a lot of things going on around the world that are impacting markets, uh, things like the, the shutdowns in, in China and the, and the backup of, of the ships in the ports and, and being empty is going to really weigh on GDP growth around the world. Supply chain problems are not going to get better. But at the end of the day, this is a midterm election market in the U.S., and there is, I think, zero chance we get six, seven, yeah. eight rate hikes. I, I think they'd be lucky to get away with another 50 basis points here in May. Uh, wow. I actually don't even think that's going to happen. I think they'll back down to 25. Uh, there's just no way the debt and deficit can support higher rates. They're in a box. And remember, Japan in 2007 said they were going to end QQE. They said they were going to stop buying their bonds. They've been buying bonds every day since 2007. They now hold 137% of GDP on the Bank yep. of Japan balance sheet. Same thing in Europe. They said when Draghi was leaving, oh, we're going to stop. And Lagarde has bought more than, than he has on a, a daily pace. So he thinks the lady doth protest yeah. too much. Uh, I think they're going to have to keep. Uh, well, I love I love how you were zero. You didn't even leave it at 2%, Mark. I love the 0% certainty. It wasn't 1%. You didn't leave the margin of error, which we love about you. The 0% chance. We, hey, when we see Lael Brainerd come out and suddenly start to turn dovish again, then we'll know and we'll say timestamp it. Mark Yusko nailed it. Mark, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Thanks for getting up early, my man. Appreciate it. All right, on deck. Has the world seen the worst of rising food prices? The CEO of one of the world's biggest fertilizer producers is here. We'll talk the spike in prices, what it all means for what you pay for food. And this could not be more timely. Join us on CNBC Pro next Monday for a very special hour. We are live at the Milken Global Conference with four great market guests running employee pension funds from around the United States. It is one hour live Totally unscripted with great advice for you. It's at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday. It's only on CNBC Pro. Sign up at cnbc.com slash pro, and we will see you there. By the way, on CNBC TV, we're going to kick off the Milken Conference Monday morning with the biggest name in bonds. Literally, Guggenheim Scott Minard will join us on CNBC TV. Not a better time to hear from Scott or those great market guests. That's all next week. In the meantime, Dow Futures off 280 here, and we are back after this short break. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning. It looks like the market pain that we've been seeing the last couple of weeks is not going to end this morning. Stock futures are down about 250 on the Dow, just under 1% of the NASDAQ. Bunch of big S&P names, Occidental, Marathon, Freeport, Mac Moran. A lot of the recent winners, by the way, are all lower. Those are live prices, down 3 and 4%. Many of the big tech stocks as well are also down right now. 
In fact, the Nasdaq 100 now down more than 20% from its all-time high late last year, which means technically it is in a bear market. We're seeing Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google all lower again right now. Many of these stocks down 40% in the last 90 to 120 days. Well, while stocks may be facing a lot of pressure recently, one area of the market that has remained red hot is commodities, particularly food. Look at these price changes since January 1st. Corn, it's up 33%. Soybean is up 42%. Wheat, up 40%. Playing, of course, a huge role in the recent run-up is not only the war in Ukraine, but the cost of fertilizers needing to grow these crops and the raw materials needed to manufacture the fertilizers themselves, particularly things like natural gas and ammonia. Joining us now with an inside look at what exactly is going on is Yara, International President and CEO Sven Holsuther. Sven, it's great to have you on the program. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of people, and why would they, by the way, knew that when they hear fertilizers, you probably know what they're thinking about, not realizing that these are chemical ureas, phosphates, nitrates made of things like Ammonium nitrate, ammonia, natural gas. How hard has your industry been hit, macro, by the spike in natural gas and all the changes on the underlying chemicals that go into your product? Well, uh, thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, and and I'm, I'm deeply disturbed by the horrific events that are unfolding in Ukraine, and I'm strongly condemning the Russian military in, in invasion there. Um, and as you say, in, in, in addition to the immediate suffering that we're witnessing in Ukraine right now, we're also moving into a glo- global food crisis. Uh, and this will make food more expensive for all of us. Uh, but for the most vulnerable, this is really a question of uh, life or, or, or death. And the reason for this, it, it's all connected here because Ukraine and Russia are world powers in the food system. Uh, together, they represent uh, one-third of uh, global wheat exports. They're, it's about 80% of uh, sunflower oil essential for cooking, large in, in maize. And on top of it, it comes uh, fertilizer. Russia is a major producer of fertilizers, uh, nitrogen, phosphate, and, and potash, and uh, also the um, natural gas that is used to produce nitrogen fertilizer in Europe, 40% of the gas comes from from Russia. And when we know that half of the world's population gets its food because of mineral fertilizer, it all adds up to a very, very uh, difficult situation. It is, and we have seen it get so difficult, Sven. I don't need to tell you this, that there have been production shutdowns of some chemical fertilizers because they either can't get certain products or it's simply too expensive and you could never sell the fertilizer for the input costs. Are you guys actively producing fertilizer right now? Well, it's an extremely volatile market uh, right now. And uh, we've had shutdowns uh, even before uh, the war as a result of uh, the increased energy prices that we saw towards the end of the summer last year. And then uh, it reached a, a, a peak in, in the beginning of uh, March with the natural gas prices uh, in Europe uh, getting up to, to $110, $120. So we're talking about uh, $600 per uh, barrel of oil equivalent. And then it's difficult to produce just about anything at a, at a reasonable uh, return. So we, we had to, uh, to make shutdowns since then. Uh, natural gas prices have come down, down somewhat in uh, 
in in, in Europe uh, and and fertilizer prices have gone up. So at at the moment we're uh, producing at uh, capacity in in Europe, but, but it is very volatile, and we're monitoring this uh, day by day, really, Brian. Okay, but you are product producing at capacity right now, which I think is is good news. Is demand for fertilizer inelastic, Sven? I mean, in other words, it was at two fifty or three hundred U.S. dollars a metric ton. Now it's in some cases I'm hearing quotes of you know fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. Farmers are going to buy it because if they don't have crops, they don't have a business. But at some point, they have to sell the product for more than their input costs. Is demand? inelastic or will people cut back on using it well it's hard to to think of a more essential good than than food and uh, when half of the food in the world is produced as a result of fertilizer certainly there there is uh, demand for for the product but uh, uh, you know farmers are put in, in a very difficult position as as well uh, with all the uncertainties and volatilities here uh, with fertilizer prices being at record highs it's a uh, it's, it's also about having uh, the credit. So even if it makes financial sense, uh, are they able to take on the risk to their the credit lines and, uh, and so on. And it's important that we, we do whatever we can to uh, support. And it takes some time to before it's reflected in the food prices as well so that the crops uh, justify yeah. the use of uh, uh, fertilizer. And uh, what we've seen, you know, the, the first phase, a lot of focus has been on the cost of energy. But uh, why do we eat food while well, it is to get the energy, right? So it's all connected, but it takes a bit more time before it's reflected in the food prices. We saw all-time high food prices in, in February before the invasion. Now it's up another 12.5% in, in March. Uh, yeah. We certainly help the farmer economics, um, but, but, but uh, indeed volatile and uh, a lot of uncertainty at the moment. But it is good news that you guys are back to producing and producing at capacity to make sure that fertilizer is available. Yara CEO Sven Holsether. Sven, it's a real pleasure. It's an important topic, certainly globally. Thank you for coming on CNBC. Have a good day. All right, a little bit of good news there. At least the fertilizer is being produced. All right, on deck, another tough day of trading taking shape here on the back of Friday's sell-off. John Nigerian is here laying out the sudden spike of fear that he is seeing within the markets. Dow futures down 254, NASDAQ off just under 1%, oil back under 100 a barrel, crypto all down across the board as well. Maybe grab another cup of coffee as well. Could be a long Monday. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI actually isn't that random, but hopefully is that interesting because we always find it interesting to know what you think about things. No one just wants to hear us blathering on all of you or make all of this happen after all. Right. So thank you. So we like to pull you once in a while on big issues. And what is bigger overall than the American economy? Nothing, because we are the biggest economy in the world. And with inflation out of control, millions bailing on the workforce and interest rates rising faster than an Elon Musk rocket, there are a lot of questions out there about where the economy is headed and if recession is in the cards. So we asked you a pretty simple question on Twitter. Will the U.S. economy fall into recession? We gave you four possible answers. No, yes, later this year, yes, next year or later, or depends on the Fed. And you always surprise us. You surprise us again. 40% of you said yes, later this year. The next highest answer was yes, next year or after. And an equal but small number of you said either no or depends on the Fed. But think about that. 
72% of you said that we are going into recession, whether it's later this year or next year. You do think it's going to happen. Doesn't mean that it will, of course, but a fascinating response nonetheless. And remember, the definition of a recession is a big drop in economic activity over a number of months. And because that's always going to be backward looking, we usually don't know when we're in a recession when it starts, right? You just look back and say, hey, we were, which means that even if most of you are right, we still won't know until early next year. So, of course, we're going to timestamp this RBI, and hopefully it is random but interesting, and no offense, hopefully wrong. Nobody wants to see a recession. All right, let's get back down to the markets and bring in our friend John Najarian, of course, Market Rebellion co-founder, CNBC contributor, and a guy that watches the markets as closely as anybody else. John, a big spike in the VIX, just under 30 right now. I mean, to what do you attribute sort of the you know Thursday, Friday market crushing and this spike in the VIX? Well, um, and you were nice enough, Brian, to shoot me that, uh, hey, John, we traded over 5 million puts on the Spider, the SPY, um, on Friday. Uh, you're absolutely right, and that's probably almost 40% above what it did just the prior couple sessions. So that's a significant move. Um, the, the fact that the VIX made that big spike, Brian, it was below 20 um, just the day before. Um, so in other words, Thursday, the 21st last week, it was below 20, the VIX was. That's the spot, of course. Now, the futures, when we talk about out on the curve all the way out to July, we're hanging right around 28. Well, um, to us, since they were hanging up rather than coming down along with the spot, that said that people didn't think that that was going to last long, the lower volatility that is, and clearly it did not because we yeah. spiked up to 28. We traded over 30 last night, and right now we're just below 29. If there's a silver lining at all, Brian, it is that those futures, the same ones we talked about all the way out to July, um, have not budged. They are basically 28.20 or something like that, 28.40 across the board, June and July. So to me, that says that they think most of this is very quick. It's going to pass quickly, this volatility, rather than continuing to uh, ramp higher, uh, although we could in the very short term see move back through 30 again. It's not foretelling a big, long surge in volatility, but rather that, hey, 20 was way yeah. too cheap. Yeah, and, and to what, our, what, what you referenced at the top, by the way, and you're welcome, by the, I, lo I love going back and forth with you all the time, John, was that uh, I had gotten a, a trade notification on this huge 5 million put thing uh, on Friday. So somebody made a, either, maybe not just somebody, some institution or a collection, huge bet against the S&P 500, maybe the tail wagging the dog, right, John? If somebody lays that kind of negative trade on the S&P 500, it's going to shake a lot of things out. Yeah. And, you know, your point is well taken. Anytime somebody trades a lot of futures or any other derivative, it's going to cause a lot of hedging in the uh, actual asset itself. So whether it's triggered by that big trade or whether people start scrambling um, and are looking for protection and right when they're looking for protection, um, all of a sudden, you know, that all that selling pressure comes into the S&P at the same time. It's a real witch's brew when that happens. Uh, 
I, I'd say overall that the volatility and the strikes they were buying were pretty far out of the money. So it's, it seems to be that if somebody wanted to buy protection that would really aid them in the short term, they would buy something more at the money, Brian. But even in the IWM, they're buying out the money rather than yeah. at the money. So it seems like they want to hold their long position. So maybe, maybe, a, maybe a little glimmer of hope in all this negativity, right, John? And that's kind of what we're saying. A little bit, of, that little bit of silver lining? Yes, sir. A little bit. Yes, sir. <laughs> About that. Hey, at this point, we'll take that much over the Mark Yusko 0%. John and Jerry, and thank you very much. Yes, yes. somebody on Friday laying a huge bet against the S&P 500 in the options market. As we've said, options running the show. We will see on Worldwide Exchange tomorrow. Markets down across the board. Squawk and the gang picking up. Must see coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.